Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Beyond Fear, the Sex Crimes Podcast. Today we are speaking to Sive, a former sex worker from San Francisco, about their experiences. We recognize that this topic may be difficult for some of you. Please remember that you can always turn the episode off and listen later, or even listen with a friend. My name is Dr. Alexa Sardina. And I'm Dr. Alyssa Ackerman. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Fear. Born and raised in the Bay Area, Sive Sanchez is a fierce fighter who has overcome many obstacles in the past two decades, homelessness, drug abuse, and domestic violence, escaping the throes of violent pimps and gangs, and has come out as a survivor in almost every sense of the word. For anyone who's met Sive, you may know them as a true harm reduction warrior, no-nonsense, practical, ready for action, and well-connected with the needs of their community members disproportionately affected by both environmental and economic violence. Since exiting the street life, Zayev has been enrolled as a full-time student with hopes of transferring to university to study neuropharmacology, psychotherapy, and the way trauma manifests in the body and mind. Zayev's inspiration comes from great minds like Dr. Carl L. Hart, Pema Chodron, and Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Along with being a full-time student, Saif works for the Street Crisis Response Team in San Francisco and volunteers for the local needle exchanges and other local organizations serving the demographic in which they just came from. Saif, it is absolutely an honor and a privilege to have you on our podcast. You know, I've, I've known you for a long time. I feel like in many ways, I'm just getting to know you. And in many ways, I've known you forever. And we've only actually ever met in person one time. But that was such a moving experience for me. And I'm just so grateful that you agreed to be on the podcast with us today to share your story and your wisdom. As we were getting ready to record today, you made a comment about how you had listened to the last season of the podcast. And you know, thought to yourself, like, what am I getting into? Why am I doing this? You know, I'm not an academic like the people who have been on the podcast. And so I wanted to start and maybe get your, you know, your thoughts and feelings around that out in the open. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the intro. And and, and thank you for inviting me on here. Um, like you mentioned, I, imposter syndrome runs deep with me. <laughs> You know, I think that stems from being raised in a Mexican Catholic household, and I am the fairest skinned person of my entire family. And so my my nickname was the neighbor's kid because I did not look like anybody in my family. So I I think imposter syndrome just it, it runs in my blood. 
and being asked to be a part of this podcast, I mean, I'm floored, like I, with all of these, you know, great minds, you and Alexa, I mean, like all of these esteemed people that, that have so much to share. And here I am, quote unquote, just, just the sex worker, just, I'm just the hooker, you know, because that's what society has, has taught us that we are expendable or we are just this, we are just that we are not this. I'm very nervous. Um, I'm very, I still have no idea how I got here, how I, I fell into being a part of this. Um, I'm honored and flattered and I just hope that I uh, do it justice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I have no doubt that you will do this justice. There's Absolutely. nobody else for this episode that I would want to have. We were saying as we began recording how lived experience is so much more important and will always come above academic expertise. And that is why your voice is so critical. And I just, I, this is going to be an incredible episode. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, like I, I told you before, um, when I was out accessing services from different places, I had a hard time taking seriously the, you know, the academics, the, the people that learned everything from a book straight out of college. It's like, what can you tell me? <laughs> what can you teach me that I haven't already just experienced two hours ago? And it's hard to respect. It, it is, I'll say that it is very hard to respect the word of somebody that has not had the lived experience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess a great place to start would be to just ask you, who are you? We've read your bio, but that speaks to things about you. Deep down, who are you? What do you want our listeners to know? Hmm. Who am I? Well, that's an evolve. That's a loaded question because it's always evolving um, and always changing. I think, who am I? I am a student of life maybe painful at times, but it's also delicious. I love that. Right. Holding the both end. Yeah. Right. A student of life. It's hard and it's delicious. I got chills when you said that. Mm -hmm. So why did you agree to come on this podcast with us? Well, Alyssa, uh, obviously I just adore you and your work. You are the person that actually talked me through my anger, my rage that I have for the people that have hurt me. Years ago, I was, I was saying, you know, kill them all, lock them all up, you know, but through your, your work and your words and your support, and also my own experiences with people that have perpetuated harm. I've learned that that is not the right way to go about this epidemic that um, that is only going to further perpetuate this, 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 this epidemic. I agreed to come on because I, there are a few points that I want um, people to know about sex work and sex workers. I want people to know, I just 
people. We are just humans trying to survive. And we have found a way to capitalize off of what we have. And society and the government tells us that sex work is wrong. And I, I don't, I don't believe it. So because I believe that sex workers are healers fully. We are not only providing a service, but we are providing a healing space for a lot of people, including ourselves. Cause and we have to make that time for ourselves because nobody else does that for us. I want people to know that sex workers love just as everybody else does. And it's no less, it's no less than people that that don't sell sex. We can be in relationships. We can show up for other people as a partner. We know how to honor ourselves to the best that we can, given that everybody wants to take Everybody wants to take something from you, especially if you are in this country and you happen to be um, attra- an attractive feminine energy in any any respect. It is you you know how much people take from you. You know it's the oldest profession in the book, and I used it mostly as a survival technique. But it's not always as such. This was just my experience. I chose sex work because I had a drug habit that I needed to feed. I also, you know, used sex work um, as a profession to to pay bills and to make ends meet, to pay rent. It's a job like any other, but we don't get... We don't get the respect. Uh, we don't get the acknowledgement as such. Um, we are discarded. Um, and the reason why I chose sex work is because to me, there's supposed to be no victims, right? It's supposed to be a victimless transaction where I'm selling something and you're seeking something. And the tra- it's very it's transactional. It's everybody walks away a winner. I am not hurting anybody. I am not inflicting pain, or taking or stealing. Um, I am not hurt. It, it you know everybody is supposed to walk away from it with what they what they were seeking, and that's that's how I justified my work is because you know a lot of people on the streets you know turn to crime turn to theft, turn to, you know, uh, credit card fraud. Oh, all, you know, anything you could think of, uh, boosting. Oh my gosh. Um, you name it. But to me, selling what I had, selling my attractiveness, my sexiness, it, it, it made me, the, it makes you the villain, but it, it's, 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 it's weird. It's society tells you to sit there and look pretty, but don't make any money off of it. Don't, don't, don't capitalize off of it. But, but you can give it away for free. It boggles my mind why that is. Why the puritanical society we live in says that you cannot sell your time. And that's what it is. You're selling time. You're selling energy. It's not even just your body. Because a lot of times sex work doesn't include um, sex or sexual acts. My God. We're therapists <laughs> for the most part. 
we just don't have the, the, the fancy degree and the, and the, and the, um, and all the financial, <laughs> um, student loans to pay back. I'm curious to know, like, what was your entry into sex work or can you imagine an alternate reality in, in which you didn't enter, um, that field specifically? No, I cannot. Uh, I cannot picture an alternate reality where I was not using my sexuality to, um, get by. And the reason why I say that is because I have, I, you know, I, I'm, I identify as non-binary and, and, and transgender and, um, I have taken HRT, uh, hormone replacement therapy, um, for a short while, but I, after, you know, talking to a lot of my friends, I realized that I am not ready to kiss my pretty privilege goodbye. Like it, it gets me a lot and, you know, call me a bad person for acknowledging it, but I, I get a lot of shit this way. Um, and I'm not ready to lose that because I, I hear that it is a, an incredible mind fuck. And I, my mind cannot handle that right now. I've got enough to, to deal with, you know, like there's a lot of different entries. I can say that I was, I was groomed. I, I will say, I will say absolutely. I was groomed by an older couple, an older, very um, fancy, very, very beautiful couple. They would, I was working in the mall. I was 17. I was a high school junior or senior, I believe. I was working at a, at a mall and this couple would come in every couple of months and very beautiful and, and very supportive of each other. Actually, um, he would just spend thousands of dollars on her. And I remember one time I was tying a dress on her and he you know, was looking me up and down. He's like, you know, how'd you like to make a lot more money? And, you know, as soon as I heard that, I, I was like, oh, what do you want me to do? Because, <laughs> you know, you already know you're 17 years old, you know, pretty female in America. You know that someone's, it, they want to take something from, you know what that leads to. Um, and I, I was intrigued because, yeah, and I was also flattered. I, I will say that I was very naive but I also had my eyes open. I knew, I knew what I was walking into. He gave me an address. Um, he said, be there Friday night, um, bring a pair of high heels. That's the only intro introduction that I was given. And Friday night came and, you know, I got out of school, I got out of softball practice and I showered and I go to the address that he gave me. And sure enough, it was a strip club. I have fond and distant memories of, of that work. But over the years, you know, I have utilized sex work in many different forms. It wasn't until I found myself with partnered up with somebody who ha, um, had a history of working as a hustler in the Castro district. He was groomed by his family. And this is the person that I call my good pimp. Um, he was my partner. He was my crime partner, my drug partner. He was my, my running buddy. He introduced me to full service sex work, um, you know, pounding the pavement on the street, the, the street walkers, the, the, the street life, as you, as you see, that's uh, shown in cinema all the time. Um, 
so yeah, that was, I think that was the biggest introduction or the most profound work was street-based sex work. What are some of the things you want our listeners to know about your experiences of that life? One of the um, main things that I want listeners to know is that cops don't care. In fact, they are, I will say they are the perpetrators a lot of the time. When I'm speaking about sex work, I like to say this because everybody wants to believe that, you know, the police are are law enforcers and they're the ones that you go to for protection in a, a rape scenario, but, or an, any sexual assault scenario, but that is not the case for pe- when you do sex work. Um, they are the perpetrators and everybody wants to believe that they don't know anybody that that has happened to, or that is just a myth. Um, I'm here to tell you, it is not a myth. It happens. It happens often and a lot. And if you don't know anybody that it's happened to, now you do. The other thing I want listeners to know about sex workers is that we are human. And as as I said before, we love just as hard and fiercely as anybody else does. And we have morals and ethics. You know, a lot of people believe that we don't, you know, I have held two beliefs firmly in my life. And that is you don't hook up with your friends partners or your part or your partners, your ex-partners friends, right? You just don't shit where you eat. I have stuck to those ethics. um, And I believe that it has kept me safe from a lot of bullshit, unnecessary bullshit. But unfortunately, as a sex worker, you're getting that bullshit from every other end, every, um, every other avenue. Sex workers have morals and ethics and boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing too, is it, it does not all have to include sex all the time. And I say that we're healers because a lot of the time when people sought out company, my company, sex was not involved. It it was, I was, like I said, uh, you know, a therapist without a degree, you know, I was holding space for, men that needed to feel and they couldn't bring this emotion to anybody else for whatever reason. Do you feel comfortable talking about some of those experiences? A lot of times I, uh, people sought out my um, company because they wanted somebody to look pretty to, to, to be, be, be seen and not heard. Right. As we said, um, I remember one, um, I had a client who picked me up and it was just very pretty woman style, you know, picked me up, had a dress and he was in a poker tournament and he just wanted me to sit by his side during this poker tournament, took me back home and, and never once tried to have sex with me. I was just a showpiece. Other times I, you know, was the shoulder for men to cry on because they could not 
do this with their wife. They could not show emotion with their wife or their wife hated them. Their kids hated them. They, they wanted to, they wanted to, to feel, feel something, whether that being just a release of in a sexual gratification nature or just in emotions that they couldn't, they couldn't bring to their regular everyday life because men are not supposed to be emotional, right? So a lot of the times it was, I was just the therapist and listening and offering whatever comfort I could. They didn't involve any sex, sex acts. So I think that touches on, you know, a lot of the, the myths that people hold around sex workers and what sex work ultimately is or how they see it and define it. But what are some of the other common myths about sex work that you'd want to explain or dispel? That we are all diseased and all come from broken homes with daddy issues. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know how, I wish I had a dollar for how many times I, I heard, you know, <laughs> so what's your relationship with your dad, like with your dad? Some of us are are educated. We have we hold degrees. We um, have families. We have children, and sometimes those children know what we do. Sometimes they don't. A lot of the myths are that sex workers give it all away, so they're not going to have anything left to give to relation to bring to a relationship. A hooker burnout, where I don't believe it is a myth. Uh, I believe it is true. I, I believe that that can happen and does happen often to to make sure this doesn't you don't fall into this. you you have to really listen to yourself and trust yourself and check in. And there's a level of self-awareness that you have to have at all times, which is very hard when you are on substances. And I think I think, wow, I just realized that that is probably why my self-awareness got away from me because I was not listening to my needs and my, my boundaries a lot of the time. And which led ultimately led to me sacrificing way too much, but we are not all damaged. We are not all broken. We are not all unethical, immoral people that can't navigate life in what you would call quote unquote normal society. So we've talked a little bit before about your experiences with law enforcement. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners about these interactions? I think, I think that is, um, that's the most painful one is, you know, there were times when, um, I would be picked up, stopped on the street. They would, they, the police knew me because they knew who I was. They knew um, the company that I ran with. Um, so I, I, I believe that um, that was my, I was known uh, um, and that was, it was known in, in the, the Tenderloin um, precinct is that, uh, they can stop me and demand, demand things from me, um, which I had to 
give or else I was going to jail, you know? So um, it came between rape or jail. And there were times, you know, I remember a time when I was assaulted very violently uh, and locked in a broom closet and with no clothes, he took my clothes. And I had to climb out on the fire escape to, you know, the street, the Tenderloin Street. And just so happened that, you know, a couple of friends of mine were walking by and I was able to get their attention. And they um, came to get me from this broom closet that this man had locked me in. And I just wanted to forget about the whole situation. I wanted to forget that I had tried to turn this trick with this person that hurt me. And my partner at the time, he was very adamant about um, pressing charges because this the person that hurt me was a part of the community and he didn't want this to, to happen again. Um, and he wanted this person, with the way that I was attacked, he wanted this person off the street. So. I trusted my partner and we went to his parole officer to, to speak to somebody and the, the parole officer had an officer come and meet with me. And I, I, I stayed stone sober because I wanted to be able to convey what had happened. But as we know how traumatic events occur in our minds and, and what our brain does for, for us to keep us safe is that it just shuts down. So I appeared to be under the influence. I, I apparently I was slurring. I, I was swaying and I had to like hold myself up on my partner. Um, and he had to relay the, the, the story to the, to the officer to, um, because I couldn't, I, I was just exhausted. I did, I couldn't, make the words and the and the officer he just laughed laughed and said something to the tune of what did you expect you're just a hooker that's what you do <laughs> no i did not agree to be you know punched and my clothes taken and my money taken for a service I provided and to be locked in a broom closet. You know, I did not consent to that. Um, so not only was I hurt and violated by the offender, I was hurt and violated by the institution that is supposed to keep people safe. And who are you supposed to go to when that happens? You know, like, because you're just going to be met with that attitude. I give so much props to this Celeste Guap. I don't know if you're familiar with, with her case, but she was a um, underage and she was at the, the heart of a um, case that happened in the Bay Area in Richmond, Oakland area about four or five years ago where there was a, a whole group of officers that were charged with rape of, of this, this young girl. And I, I can't imagine being a teenager and saying that up against that. Wow, dude, 
That's terrifying. So I just, my hat's off to you, Celeste Guap, and your voice and your bravery. Because I don't think that if I were uh, given that opportunity, I I could, at the time, I, I don't think that I could speak about it. I don't know if now I would have the bravery or the 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 the, the balls <laughs> to do that. It's terrifying. You are a target from then on. From then on at a national level. I would honor that. Yes, she was incredibly brave and incredibly courageous and also not speaking out is also brave Mm. and is also courageous. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. What you just shared is incredibly heartbreaking and terrifying. And I think for some of our listeners might be really shocking, but given that experience with law enforcement, how does it feel to be the one that's labeled the criminal by, (laughs) by our criminal legal system um, when those that are supposed to be upholding the law are in fact doing these awful things. I guess I don't, I don't give that much. I don't give that much thought because I myself am an abolitionist. So anybody that has any faith in the criminal justice uh, system, I'm not going to put a lot of, of, of emotion into their, how they think of me. What I do have a hard time with are when my peers, when people that I know or call my, or uh, yeah, my peers, what they think of me. When people hear that I am a sex worker, this is my story, this is my past, because then it's like a light goes off in their head. I I see it. It's, It's like, especially the men, how much can I get from this person? How much can I exploit this person? And it happens all the time, all the time. That is the, the hurtful thing because I'm constantly on guard. Does this person want to get to know me for me? Or does this person want to get close to me because they want to see how much they can get from me? That is the running theme in my head all the time. And I, and, and constantly having to spell the myths um, to peers is, is exhausting because I want to shake them, be like, don't you do your own work? Or is, 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 is our movies the only place or, or music videos, the only place that you get your information on, on what sex work is like? Uh, it seems as so, it seems that way. They don't take into account that it is a whole, there's a whole person behind it. And a whole person with their own feelings and emotions 
because to them, you're just a pussy vending machine. You know, it makes me think about the whole point that we are trying to convey with some of the episodes of season two of this podcast is we are so quick to dehumanize people Mm, mm. and to, you know, they are only defined by the labels that we place on them and hearing you share your lived experience just helps to humanize you, right? You are so much more. And I love that we've been able to convey that, that you've been able to convey that. Thank you. I, I, I hope that, I hope that um, it will help misspell like a lot of the myths and a lot of the, 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 not even myths, but just the, the, um, prejudices and the um that people have towards sex work and sex workers we're not all lawless immoral people that you know are out to fuck your husbands and you know uh, (laughs) i'm i mean i i i feel for the I, I put myself in the, the shoes of the wives whose husbands um, I've been in company with. I absolutely do. I think about that is, that's the type of shit that I think about all the time. Of course I feel awful. I would not want to be on the receiving end. Only, only if there was dishonesty involved, you know, like if, if my partner were seeking services from a sex worker and they told, like, they told me that was open part of our, of our relationship, of course, you know, I'm not going to have any, any problems with it. But when there's the dishonesty involved is that's, I feel bad for being a part of that lie. Absolutely. The work does come with its baggage like that, because not everyone is going to feel that way. Not, not everyone is going to be kept up at night thinking about that, but I am absolutely. Well, I I wouldn't change it though, because to me, shit, a lot of times I feel like I kept marriages together, (laughs) you know? Um, And I've been told that by, by many of these men. So it's, it's not for nothing. You know, I can imagine that some people listening would have a hard time hearing you talk about this. And I think the important thing to remember is that it doesn't matter. Like there should never be any judgment. Your inherent humanity should never be called into question. Mm -hmm. And, And I hope listeners take that, that they hear you and they recognize that what you are saying is authentic and honest and real and none of it should come at the cost of your humanity. Thank you. Alyssa, you were the, the one that gave me the, the highest compliment ever is, is when you had said something, when we did our pre-taping, um, how... I'm able to honor humanity and other people when it has not been done for me. And I think that's why, I think that's why I'm able to do so because I know how it feels to be the discarded. 
I know how it feels uh, to be the person looked down upon, to, to be spit on, to be, um, you know, laughed at. Oh, they're just a hoe. It's hard, but it, I, I, I think it's my cross to bear. I wouldn't change it. Like I said, like all of the things that happened to me, I don't, I don't regret anything that happened because if I could, if I could help somebody live better or see a different side or help someone in my shoes, um, then it is not in vain. And that's why I do this work. I, and and I, I don't know if that's what I have to tell myself to be okay <laughs> with, with what has happened to me, but it's what I use to be able to provide services to other people that have been in my shoes, that know what it's like to be the exploited, discarded villain, yeah, criminal. It's a, it's a great segue into the next question that we have. Um, so, you know, in your bio... You talked about how you've transitioned out of that life. Tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah, I am. Well, right now I am a full-time student. I am going to San Francisco City College. Love City College. Um, With the hopes of transferring uh, to a four-year, I don't know exactly where, but I would absolutely love to study under one of my my idols, Dr. Carl Hart. He's a um, neuropharmacologist, neuropsychopharmacologist, um, a professor uh, at Columbia, Um, and yeah, I want to, I want to, I want my degree. I, it was always a goal of mine um, from the jump, from childhood. Uh, And I think that was one of my first fuck it's when I was a kid, you know, I, um, things didn't happen the way that I wanted. So I just said, fuck it. And I lost softball, potential scholarships, my education. And, and I just lived in the world of fuck it. But now that I have transitioned out of the the street life and and my my drug habit, I am a full-time student. I have been working for, I started off volunteering for the needle exchange I used to get, I used to um, obtain services from, and that's the Sixth Street um, Needle Exchange in San Francisco. If anyone's familiar with Sixth Street, it is the the grit and the grime of, of San Francisco, the Tenderloin, that's, that is, that is my home. I feel like if I can survive with nothing but the clothes on my back, living on the street out there, then I can survive anything. So Tenderloin, Sixth Street, that is my heart, my home. I want to help I want to help uplift every one of those people and see and help them find their humanity. They are not discarded and they're important and they don't deserve to be looked down upon in our society's eyes. They are just as important as you and I and everybody else. So right now I am working uh, as a part of the new program that San Francisco has employed called the Street Crisis Response Team. 
And that is where a team of mental health professionals get deployed to uh, mental health crisis phone calls that normally 911 operators or the police would, would get dispatched to. So it's a very new program. Unfortunately, it came about in an awful situation with in the wake of, of George Floyd. But I believe that these, these programs are necessary. Um, so far, there has only been one that I know of um, that, that has existed prior to George Floyd, and that is Cahoots in the Pacific Northwest. And I, I love them. They do amazing work. So they're kind of like the prototype for what we're doing. And it's hard. It is really hard. Uh, it's triggering when I'm dispatched to on site and there's police there police that I potentially may have prior relations with, you know, so every call I'm on pins and needles, hoping that it's not somebody that I'm going to recognize or that's going to recognize me. I look a lot different than I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I have a hard time working alongside these people that hold this badge and this power, but I believe that if I'm able to reach the person that's in a crisis, if I can put myself in between this person that's in need of help and that authority, and I could meet them where they're at and provide any sort of comfort, solace, warmth, kindness, then my job, that is the goal of my job. That is the goal. And that's the most important thing to me. Cortisol levels might be through the roof, but, (laughs) (laughs) but Danex is for. (laughs) And just like everything else is complicated, right? Sometimes the things that we love to do or that we're passionate about are a challenge to our own mental health and stability, but we wouldn't change it yeah. for anything. And I, I say that because I, I know it. I know it because I remember every single one of the people that showed me that same kindness and warmth and respect and dignity when I was out there. I remember them. And now they're my colleagues. Now I, I, I you know, call them when I need help or when I need to send them somebody you know, um, so, and I want to take that and I want to emulate that um, and and give it to other people. For instance, God, my friend, Jason, who works at Glide, I remember he uh, pulled some strings and got me into um, detox quite a few times when I was out there ripping and running and doing my thing. And, and I just remember walking away being like why is this man this gorgeous man being so nice to me he must want to fuck me that's right (laughs) you know that's where my head was but no he was just wanting to help somebody in need because he himself has also been in those situations too he came from the demographic as well and so I feel like people that have been in those situations and know we are the most equipped to know exactly how to how to speak, how to posture, um, what our mindset is. Um, so yeah, I, I, Jason, 
for listening. I love you. And thank you for being, being someone that I could really look up to and emulate. And, and the warmth and the kindness that you showed me when I was out there is what I want to, I want to provide for other people. So thank you for showing me that, showing me how it's done. Saif, I have no doubt. I mean, I, I, mean, I know you. I, you are already and have been the person that people look up to. You are an inspiration. I have no doubt the impact that you are making on the lives of people you interact with because I know the impact you've had on me. Mm-hmm. And I am just so, so fundamentally grateful that you came on our podcast, that you agreed to be on this show. I know your story will impact a lot of people. Is there anything else you want the world to know about you as we close? Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having faith in me. Thank you for reaching out to me. And thank you for that coffee date, the first meeting. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, and thank you for Angie for, for hooking us up. I mean, man, who would have thought my junior year, like my, my softball homie from my junior year of high school would get me here. You know, like who would have thought that like my life would get me here talking to such beautiful, wonderful, esteemed, like brilliant, just, I mean, and I have a hard time thinking that about myself, you know, that like I'm inspirational because to me, it's just my life. It's just, my cross to bear, right? Um, In closing, thank you. Even to the people that hurt me. Thank you. Because you gave me me. Thank you to everybody that has helped me. And thank you to everybody that inspires me. And thank you to everybody that I love and that loves me and that uplifts me. You did great. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you for being that was so amazing. brave and being here with us. We appreciate you. Thank you guys. Wow. Thank you for listening to Beyond Fear, the Sex Crimes Podcast, a part of Article 3 Podcasting Network. Beyond Fear, the Sex Crimes Podcast is written and hosted by Alexa Sardina and Alyssa Ackerman. All episodes are produced and edited by Christopher Antico. We would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast and answer any questions that you might have about the topics we've covered or any questions you have about us. You can contact us at beyondfearpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, you can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other podcasting platforms. Head to our website at www.beyondfearpodcast.com for blog posts, resources, readings, and episode transcripts. Follow us on Twitter at Fear Crimes, Instagram at Beyond Fear Podcast, and like and follow our Facebook group called Beyond Fear the Sex Crimes Podcast.